Hi everyone and welcome to Conversations with myself, Nick Conn. So pleased, I've got a really special guest in today um, who I've known for quite some time now. Um, it's Mike Steelwell. And Mike today will be talking about a specific area within what we call transactional analysis called the drama triangle. Um, before we kind of introduce, introduce Mike, I just want to say I bought these shoes um, from a dealer recently. Now, I don't know what he laced them with, but I've been tripping all day. Honestly, I keep telling you, they're going to get worse as the series goes on. Um, now, Mike um, has been a accountant for coming up to 30 years. He's also personally been in recovery since 1991. Um, he trained in psychosynthesis, psychosynthesis, which is basically a transpersonal psychology. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Mike to the studio. So hi Mike and thank you so much for joining us in the studio. We're going to talk about the drama triangle today which I'm really excited about. What is the drama triangle and can you explain it? Sure, so looking at the drama triangle so you'll see there's a persecutor, a rescuer and a, a victim. So those are three characters that I can be sometimes. Sometimes I can be an angry and critical persecutor where I just look at what other people are getting wrong. And the sort of things I might be saying is, you know, you never think, you always get it wrong, you always screw up. So when you hear those words, you always, you know that someone's probably in their persecutor. I identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> and another word for that would be critic instead of persecutor. Okay. That kind of shows you the kind of character. When I'm in my rescuer, I'm looking after other people, usually neglecting my own needs. And I'm really focused on, you know, I'm going to do anything to sort you out and I'll be focusing on someone. Oh, you poor thing. You know, it's not your fault. I'm going to step in and sort your life out. But while I'm doing that, I'll probably be neglecting my own needs and I'm getting my self-worth from looking after other people rather than myself. So is this where someone perhaps that's a codependent sure, would, would kind of sit within? Absolutely. So it's very common, for instance, for a family member, whether it's the partner or parent or someone with addiction problems, is for very understandable reasons. You know, someone they care about is going through a hard time. Yeah. Becoming very attached to sorting that person out and, and being in the rescuer mode and forgetting their own needs. And with the victim aspect, um, you know, when I'm in my victim, I'm a poor thing. Nothing's my fault. All blame is out there. And I can only see people around me as either good or bad parents, you know. Can you give an example when you would see this in operation? Yeah, I'll give the example of a, a family where there's addiction, for instance. OK. So let's say there's a son or daughter, let's say a son who's got an addiction. And now this is kind of stereotyping, but let's guess it's mum that's the rescuer. OK. And so you've got to imagine... You know, the son is knocking on the back door. He wants to speak to mum to get a little bit of money from her without dad sort of uh, uh, coming downstairs to ask what's going on. Yeah. Um, so as, as the victim, the person with the addiction is probably going to say, mum, can you give me 40 quid because, you know, and what comes next might be, you know, I've got a job, but they haven't paid me yet. And I need I've some got affairs. no petrol for my absolutely, car. Absolutely, yeah, all of that. Use them or, all. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Or it might be, you know, oh, I'm, I'm getting a flat, but I need some money for a deposit or, you know, all those sorts of things. But strangely, the amount is usually about 40 quid, whatever it is, <laughs> right. you know, whatever it is. So at that point, dad comes down the stairs. Goes, What's going on? 
you know, I don't remember you, you sold the stereo last week, you're here to get money off your mum. Now, there's a classic example of the drama triangle. Okay. You've got the addict victim who is being quite manipulati- manipulative and dishonest, mum that's just there to sort out her poor little yeah. soldier, and dad who's angry and, you know, you're always, you never. So there's a really classic example right there. And I suppose one interesting thing about the drama triangle is that the most interesting thing is the roles can change round. So we've we've kind of started the game, everybody's in role, but it might be that the um, the, the, the when the dad comes downstairs and the mum's going to say, well, look, you know, you never cared about your, your boy, did you? She's going to turn into the persecutor and try and victimise the dad. You know, so everybody moves around and everybody ends up as a victim at some point. Nick. Interesting. So what would make a person kind of prefer a particular position? I think it's, uh, as we grow up, it's the one that either gave us the most rewards or helped us to survive. So in a family where, say, there's um, mental health or addiction problems or that someone's got a, a sibling with, with, with special needs, perhaps, you know, if, if you, as a child, you've been put in a position where you, you find you're looking after either your parents or other family members, younger siblings, possibly, you know, you might feel, if it's, let's say, an alcoholic mum, you might feel that I can only get what I need if mum's okay, so I'm going to dedicate my time to making her okay. And it might be you never quite get what you need, but you've, you've been trained early on to be the rescuer. In terms of the persecutor, it might be that as a child, you've had a lot of attention and a lot of power and you're in charge. And when you don't, a bit like um, the Dursleys, you know, that, that in, in Harry Potter, the, the uh-huh. one that's only got 30 odd presents and he, he, yeah. he had that, you yeah. know. So you might find that you've been trained to be, um, you know, the one that's really critical and angry and, and getting your own needs met. And a, as, a, as a victim, you might find that your needs are never met. And um, so, but you get a lot of power as a victim as well. So is it possible to step away from this and and how would someone do that? Sure. So what I'd say is looking at the persecutor, rescuer and victim. Mm -hmm. If I have a a preferred stance, for instance, as a a victim and I'm coming into treatment or coming into therapy, you know, I'm probably going to come in, say somebody comes in to see me and they say, you know, the last therapist I saw was actually completely rubbish or the last organisation I went to, but, you know, you're going to be the person that's going to sort me out. I'm going to feel like I'm I'm the person that's going to rescue them. I'm the one that's going to step in and sort them out. You know, I'm going to be so much better than the last place they went to. Um, And so as a therapist, when I notice that starting to happen, I can feel there's a kind of game starting where, where you know, they're the victim, I'm the rescuer. Um, so I, I try and watch that and I kind of watch my boundaries. You know, it might be that they come in and they talk about their, their kind of victim CV of all the things that have happened in their lives and, and, and often very genuine and terrible things. But if they're going to stay in the victim role, I might start to get frustrated that they're not making any great changes. They're not taking responsibility for their own actions and I might find myself in the persecutor role. Interesting. So where that's useful is if I can resist being the rescuer or the persecutor or even feeling like a victim in that situation, I'm in my adult. Yeah. And I'm inviting them to be an adult. 
you know, if they come in and they, they give me their, their list of things, of terrible, genuine things that have happened to them, you know, and how they can't move on in their lives, I can invite them to be, as an adult, you know, talking about those things. If they come to me as a, as a rescuer and say, I can't help sorting people out, you know, if I engage them as, a, as an adult to talk about, you know, what do you get from sorting people? How does it limit you? I'm always trying to appeal to the adult in them, and I can only do that if I'm the adult. Got it. So we can do that. We can move out of the drama triangle in a kind of negative way by by not being one of those three roles, or we can actually focus on what being an adult looks like. And I don't know about you, but I didn't necessarily get a very clear idea of what adulthood and adult behaviour looks like. And so that's something that can happen in therapy. And, and can I say, Nick, that particularly group work is really good for learning about yourself because when you're in a group in a treatment centre, you have a lot of people who can act as mirrors for your behaviour. They can reflect back yeah. when you're being an adult and you get a, a, a lot of kudos for that. But they can also reflect back when you're throwing your rattle out of your pram as a victim yeah. or neglecting your own needs as a rescue, rescuer or coming in and being angry and blamey as the persecutor so i would say group work is great for that yeah i've always been um, a huge advocate certainly with addictions sure. that, that group therapy is, is you can't is, hide in a group no, can you no, no. absolutely not mm. okay so if someone that's watching or listening is currently going through addiction and they're really struggling and they're trying to find a way to move forward let's say that they are caught up in the child ego state and it would be more productive for them to try and get into the adult ego state. But yet perhaps they're caught up in a certain cycle of the, on the drama triangle, perhaps in the victim role. How, what's the best way for them to kind of try and move forward there? I would say that um, we've mentioned about being in a treatment centre or being in therapy and looking at those things, but certainly there's lots of information on YouTube, there's books, books you can get, so you can kind of raise your awareness and just start to spot when you're um, in one of those roles. Yeah. You know, very often people in recovery will keep a journal, for instance, and maybe kind of specific look at, when have I been angry and critical? you know, maybe when I've been the persecutor or the critic, when have I been the rescuer and neglecting my own needs? When have I felt like a victim, you know? And all of those three things for me would be triggers for, for picking up in some way. You know, I think dramas are probably the biggest... People often say when they come in recovery, you know, when you ask, you know, what, what might lead you back to using them? I say, well, if somebody I cared for died, but actually it's probably going to be an argument at home will be the biggest trigger. You know, Interesting. The, the acting out on these roles um, is, is the biggest danger to all of us in recovery. So I would say that in terms of um, moving forwards, first of all, become aware of when you're in those roles and those parts of you. And as you say, f look for the adult part of yourself um, when when you're in relationship with others and a situation comes up, whether it's, you know, you've got a, a faulty kettle that you're taking back or whatever it might be, notice how you could have an adult approach to dealing with that situation, you know. And just a last question, which I always, I love to ask, especially to someone with such long-term sobriety like yourself. So to anyone that's watching that is in the real 
early stages of recovery. Now, moving away from the drama triangle, mm. they're in real early stages of, of recovery and or looking to try and make that transition into recovery. From your personal experience, what what would you say would be if you had to give one fundamental re one fundamental bit of advice, the best thing that that person can do to make that shift from addiction to recovery? Just one. It has to be don't do it alone and ask for help. Um, personally, um, I'm just thinking, you know, battling with the addict in me, you know, I can win a few battles. Um, but willpower isn't going to cut it. It really has to be other people. Now, I always thought other people were the problem. <laughs> it wasn't good news to find out there was the solution. <laughs> but but being with people in recovery who are going through the same thing, that is has to be the single most useful and productive thing that you can do. But I have to just jump in and say that most of us develop addictions because we're not very good at asking for help. You know, that's why we develop addictions. That's why we turn to substances or behaviours. Mm. So the reaching out and saying, I can't do this, the step one bit, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit crap here, I'm not doing very well. And um, it, so for me, it would always be about getting help rather than willpower. With addiction, it's not... It takes all the willpower you'll ever need. You know, you'll, you'll, it takes all the lots of willpower to ask for help, and that's the right application of willpower. Brilliant, and I think it kind of goes back to something that I preach because when you mentioned asking for help, I suppose that's getting it out in the open as well. Yes, and as we know, one of the big things with addiction is secrets keep us sick. Sure, and you know, I know, I, I question many people when they refuse to tell their family. And I said, well, you know, mm. why, why are you not telling your mum? Yeah. Um, because, or why are you not telling your partner? Because they know that if they get it out in the open, they're going to be watched like a hawk. Yeah. And effectively what they're doing there is keeping one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. And, and I suppose from my experience, it was jumping in with both feet, sure. get it out in the open, yeah. um, allow people to help, ask for help. Yeah. Um, like you said, and, and, um, I think that's the start there, isn't it? And, and I have to jump in and just say, when it when it when um, comes to asking for help and getting help, and the family wanting help, I want to kind of say directly to people in the family that if you have someone in recovery and um, they're not willing to try and make the effort for recovery, there's very little that you can do beyond being honest with them about the effect that their, their addiction has on you. You might not be able to control them wanting to help, but you can be quite clear with them about the effect that their addiction is having on you. But be very careful about trying to manage or control um, their recovery. You know, uh, uh, it's very easy to take charge and it can be incredibly counterproductive. I know that's not good news for many people to hear, but if you are the one that steps in as rescuer, that pushes them into the victim role. You know, you both want to be in an adult role and to be adult is to be very clear. And, you know, people talk about um, tough love. I would say that tough love is never about controlling somebody else, but is always about just being um, honest about what you need and trying to meet your own needs as, as the parent or partner of, a, of, of an addict. And I've noticed again and again when 
someone in the family, the parent or the partner of an addict particularly, decides that actually they're going to focus on themselves and not try and sort out the addict. The addict can sometimes have a bit of a slump that they're not getting the attention they need, but they very often go, well, I suppose I better sort myself out then because there's nobody left to kind of die at. There's nobody left to kind of bail me out anymore. So yeah. I just wanted to throw that one in. I think that is really powerful and, and a great way to end this. Sure. And, and, and Mike, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And I really hope this has helped someone out there. Um, if you've got any questions, please feel free to, to send me a message directly. Um, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy and keep your eyes peeled for the next episode. Thank you, Dick. That was amazing. Oh.